Good afternoon. Uh, the passage that we're going to be spending our time in this afternoon is 2 Corinthians uh, 5, verses 16 through 21. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. I'll go ahead and read the passage, and then I'll pray, and then I'll begin. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God and him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have to come together to hear uh, your word preached. And I pray that as I do that, that your spirit would empower me, that you would give me uh, clarity of thought, clarity of words as I seek to, to minister this, this truth that we find in your word. Lord, I pray above all that this morning that we would be re-energized by the gospel, that we would see it as fresh, that we would be even more gripped by the gospel, that we would make much more of Jesus because of it, and that as a result, that as we think about the gospel and what the gospel has done for us, that it would overjoy us and cause us to, to share it, to share it with others. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Is anybody bad at keeping secrets? I'm notoriously bad for keeping secrets. If somebody tells me something, especially good news, I want to try to tell other people. I don't keep it secret very, very long. Uh, when we found out that we were pregnant with Carter, Sarah and I had talked about, we're not going to tell anybody for, for a little while. But it wasn't very long before I like, hey, let's, let's tell my parents. And I tell my parents a lot of things. I, I very often call them and, and tell them. But I very quickly said, well, we've got we to gotta tell them this news. It was, it was such good news uh, for us. And I want us to see this morning, or this afternoon, that, that that's how we should view the gospel. That it is such good news for us that we can hardly contain ourselves. And that we are overjoyed by that. And, and because of that, because we have known what it, that it's done for us and how good of news it is for us, that we look to share it with others as well. Just some background here um, of 2 Corinthians. Uh, this is actually Paul's fourth letter to the church of Corinthians. He, is very, he, he knows the church uh, very well. He has such a heart for the church. But the church was beginning to call his legitimacy into question. Was he really, was he really an apostle? Remember, he wasn't one of the twelve. The, 12 disciples. He wasn't there with Jesus and during his ministry. What, what kind of authority does he have? 
So Paul has like a threefold kind of purpose for writing, writing the book of 2 Corinthians, read this letter to the Corinthian church. And those three purposes are to strengthen the faithful majority and strengthen the purity within the church. And he was also going to complete a collection. They were collecting an offering for, for the church in Corinth. And as, as an expression of the repentance, he wanted to get them, get them their fund, the funds to help them out. And then he was also going to offer the rebellious uh, one more chance to repent before Paul returns to judge those who are still rejecting him. So in this section that we have here in Second Corinthians 5, we see that Paul is seeking to strengthen the faithful majority in the church. And he's trying to bring and purify them and encourage them in their task. So here's the big idea that I want us uh, this, to see this afternoon. As new creations in Christ, reconciled to God by God, we are called to be ambassadors of the gospel. As new creations in Christ, reconciled to God by God, we are called to be ambassadors of the gospel. So the first point here that I want you to see is that the gospel results in changed people. And the gospel results in changed people. In verse 16, we see Paul write and says that we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. So we need to ask ourselves, what does Paul mean by we have known Christ according to the flesh? Does it mean that he had personal interaction with Christ while he was here on earth? No, just remember, I just said that he was not one of the, the 12 disciples that were there and, that meant, and witnessed his earthly ministry. And if you remember, Paul was converted on the Damascus Road when, when Christ appeared to him in a vision. So Paul didn't know Christ according to the flesh. He didn't know him. Uh, his, you know, he didn't interact with him as you and I would interact with one another. And the Corinthians people certainly wouldn't have known, have known Christ either. So what does he mean by we have known Christ according to the flesh? Well, what Paul is talking about here is about his prior view of Christ. For at one point, he did, he did know Christ according to the flesh. And what he means by this is that he knew him according to worldly standards or worldly thought. Let us remember who Paul was before his dramatic conversion. He was persecuting Christ. He hated Christ. He was doing everything he could to stop the message of the gospel from going forth. He was there. He was helping persecute Christians going door to door, stood by as Christians were being stoned to death. But after Paul's conversion, his view of Christ was radically and dramatically changed. He didn't review him as the way the which the world viewed him as by the world standards, but now he saw him with new with a new understanding of who Christ was. He understood him spiritually and viewed him through a spiritual lens, not through that world that the lens that worldly lens. Now, we, we may have uh, a fleshly understanding of Christ who is as well. We may view him through a worldly, worldly lens. It may not be as dramatic as what Paul was, where he is seeking to, to flame out the gospel or, or to stop the spread of, of Christianity or, or persecuting other Christians. But 
we may view Jesus as just as a wise teacher or a good, uh, a wise prophet, or he, he really loved the poor. He had a great concern for the poor. He just, Jesus was love. He loved a lot of people. Or maybe we, we try to align ourselves with Christ for, for political gain, or uh, maybe we're trying to follow Christ in hopes that maybe our bank accounts are going to be going to be a little bit bigger. But affirming this doesn't lead to con- conversion. It doesn't lead to, to change in us. And if we, if we follow Christ for those reasons, if we understand Christ's mission as that, we miss the crux of what his, what his message was. Jesus came and sought to reign spiritually in us. He sought to bring us under his, his spiritual rule. And we need to ask ourselves, how do we look at Jesus? Do we just view him as that wise, that wise man, a good teacher, had a lot of good things to say, and, and it would be good, good to follow what those, what those are, but we're not necessarily making him our Lord. We're not letting him reign in our lives. And the same way we look at Christ through that worldly lens and through earthly standards, we can do that to, to people as well. But upon conversion, this worldly view, this, these, these standards that we, we judge people by, this, this is wiped away, and this is, this is changed. See, our conversion dramatically changes our view of things. We no longer judge Christ or the world by the world's standards or expectations. So we ask ourselves, how do we view Jesus? Do we view him through that earthly lens? And how do we view people? Do we hold certain populations in higher regard? You know, James talks about that where we, we give places of honor in our churches to those who, who are rich, and the poor, we, we, we neglect them. Are there some people that we would rather not associate ourselves with? And that if we do that, where we are judging people, we are, whole, we are viewing them through, in an earthly and a fleshly manner. We often do gravitate to people like us, they're easier to talk to. We just get along uh, with them. We might affiliate with people who, who might help our careers advance and help give us maybe some prominence or status, status in the world. But conversion changes this. Upon conversion, the things that we hold dear, the way we act, the way we think, the way we view people, those all change, and we have a radical new direction in our lives. As I've been alluding to, how does this happen? Well, we see in verse 17, uh, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, he is a new creature. Creature, The old things have passed away, and behold, new things come. So the answer to that, how does this happen? It happens through gospel conversion or change or regeneration, new birth. These are all terms that we use to signify that change that takes place upon us, upon our placing our faith in Christ. And notice what it says. We are a new creature, we are, or we are a new creation. We're not just changed a little, but we are a new creation. We, there's a radical change in us. Now I read verse 17, and I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I don't really feel like a new creature. I feel like there's a 
old sinful person who who's 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 running the show a lot. That that the moment I wake up in the morning, it's not too long after that 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 sin is close is close behind. I don't. I just don't feel like that new creature. Creature. But what does the Word of God say here? It says that we are a new creature. We are a new creation. And when we do feel like that, we need to remind ourselves of what what we're told here, that we are new creatures. We we are a new creation. New things have come. Do we still fight our flesh? Yes. And we are going to do that until God comes and reigns and, and we fully realize that. But now we can we can realize that we are a new creation. The glory of Christ and viewing his glory changes us. And by the power of his spirit, we can grow in obedience and holiness. Now we ask, what causes this conversion? What, what's the first cause of this change in us? Is it personal discipline? Is it trying to be the best version of ourselves? Is it checking a few boxes off that we're, we're doing the, the right things? Is it, is it coming to church, listening to enough, enough Christian podcasts or enough sermons on, online? No. The answer is found in verses 18 and 19, where Paul writes, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the world, the word of reconciliation. So what's the answer? What causes this? It is granted to us uh, by God. And if we think about it, what can cause us the recreation of a people who are fallen, sinful, who are walking in spiritual darkness, who are dead in their trespasses and sin? It's only through the power of God that we can explain the recreation, that we can have spiritual life, that the old sinful nature has been washed away and we have a new, new, and we are new creations. And it's through the regeneration that we have spiritual life. In these verses, we also see the concept of reconciliation. What does reconciliation mean? Well, reconciliation was only a was a unique term that Paul that Paul used. But reconciliation carries the idea of a reestablishment of an interrupted or broken relationship. Right? So our sin has caused our relationship with God to be severed. It's fractured. We have no relationship with God. If we think back to the garden, Adam and Eve were walking with God. They had fellowship with him. And after sin, what happened when they were they heard God walking in the garden? They hid themselves, right? And they had tried to cover themselves up. There was this broken relationship that, was, that happened because of their sin. But, but reconciliation goes beyond just the idea of, of salvation. Reconciliation talks about that restored relationship that we can have with God. We are, we are joined with him. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace through God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we were enemies of God, but now we are peace at peace with him. 
We were enemies, but now we are sons and daughters of our king. We offended God. We sin. We're enemies of God. But the good news is that he takes the initiative to restore us. And as we're going to see here, we're called to be gospel messengers. We go from enemies of God to being not at peace with him to being ambassadors of Christ. Think about that picture. We're going to look at that here a little bit more. So this change in us that comes through regeneration of the Holy Spirit results of a right view of who God is. And when we have a right view of who God is, then we're going to have a right view of, of the world. And we are going to seek to obey him and serve him. And when we have that right view of God, the right view of the world, we are going to see the need that the world has for reconciliation with God. So the second point is that we see here is the gospel messenger. The gospel messenger. In verse 18, we see that Paul says that, that, that God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In verse 19, he says, committed to us the word of reconciliation. And in verse 20, he says that we are ambassadors of Christ. Well, let's look at what an ambassador is. Ambassador is something that we've heard about in the news, if you've been paying attention quite a lot lately. But an ambassador is someone who is sent on behalf of someone else. And they are an authorized or representative. They are an authorized representative or messenger. Who does the, the ambassador serve? Do they serve themselves? No, they serve the one that, that has sent them. And whose message do they carry? Is it their own message? No. They carry a message given to them by those whose authority that they are under. But what Paul does here is a role reversal of what the role of ambassador would be understood of as in the first century. In the first century, a lesser power would send an ambassador to a greater power. But here we see God, the, obviously the higher power, sending ambassadors to seek reconciliation with a fallen world who are enemies of him. That's a glorious picture that God, the Almighty, the Holy God, is sending us as ambassadors to the world, to, to people who need reconciliation with him. That God is reaching out to them, to seek them. And we who were once enemies of God, who, whose fellowship, whose relationship was broken, we are ambassadors of, of, for him now. And I think that this can only come as a result of our new creation, that regeneration, that new spiritual life that we have been given upon our faith in him. The task has been given to us who are in Christ, the task is not those who are the, for the Christian elite. It's not for the pastor. It's not for the elders. The ministry of reconciliation is for us all. And when we seek to, to proclaim the gospel, to bring reconciliation with those who are enemies of God, we have opportunities to bring the kingdom of God here upon earth. Do we realize God's 
the fullness of God's kingdom here now? No. But we can bring people who are lost and are dying, who are enemies of God, under the spiritual reign of God through the proclamation of the gospel. As new creations and ambassadors of Christ, God has allowed us to, to partake in his redemptive plan. That is a privilege for us that we get to do that, that, he, that he's using us to proclaim the gospel. Now we need to ask ourselves, do we think of the lostness in the world around us? Do we see our coworkers, our family members, those in our community as lost in need of reconciliation? Are we aware of that? This is a question for us to, to reflect upon. But we can realize that we have been entrusted with the gospel message. And while we are unable to save anyone, we know the message. We have the message that does save. Our conversion makes us new creatures, enabling us to become messengers for Christ. So what is the message? What is the gospel message? That's point number three, and the gospel message. Paul summarizes the gospel message in verse 20. He says, uh, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, and here it is, be reconciled to God. Christ was reconciling the world to himself and not counting their trespasses against them. His message of be reconciled to God, it's more than Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan in, of your, for your life. Anybody ever heard that before? It's more than just Jesus loves you. It's more than just if you come to, come to Christ and you follow him, everything in your life is going to be good. It's going to be taken care of. There's going to be no more worries. No. The, the, the reconciliation to God comes with the realization that we there is something wrong with our relationship with God. There is judgment for, for our sin. The love of Christ should be framed in the gospel with the reality of God's pending judgment and his wrath. And these realities that God is, that our sin does deserve God's judgment and that we will be under his wrath. This is why we need reconciliation. Our sin that resulted in broken relationship with God, that leaves us as enemies of God, that we are hellbound sinners. This is why we need reconciliation with God. And this reality, that reality of how great the judgment is, how great the wrath is that we deserve, that's what makes the gospel such great news. It's good news for us, and it's good news for the world. And in verse 21, we maybe will see the most succinct verse. Maybe if, you, if someone would ask you, what is the gospel? You could go to this verse and you could just read this to them. And it is a, a brief, succinct summary of what the gospel is. In verse 21, he says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So here we see the reality of justification or being made, being made right, right with God. 
And in the beginning there, and we see penal substitutionary atonement. This is, this is part of that doctrine of justification. Penal substitutionary atonement is uh, the central theme of justification. What's it, what's it mean? Well, penal stands for penalty. We have our, our penal system. Uh, but that, that we see that in Christ's death on the cross because the penalty of death was paid for by Christ. That penalty that you and I deserve, that wrath of God, was that penalty was paid for by Christ. And then we see the substitution, that penal substitutionary atonement, that Christ was a substitute for us on the, cri- on the cross when he died. The doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement is found all throughout, throughout Scripture. We see it through with Abraham and Isaac. And if you'll remember, Abraham was going up to sacrifice his son, and he's getting ready to do that. And what happens? God intercedes for him and provides a substitute, a ram, to sacrifice in place of Isaac. We see it in the Passover lamb. We see it on the sacrificial system that was present within the Old Testament, that, that bulls and, and, and sheep were sacrificed as, an, as the symbolic cleansing that would come to them. The, there's a scapegoat that was used on the Day of Atonement. And what would happen on the Day of Atonement was a, was a yearly ritual that would take place in the, the Old Testament sacrificial system is that there would be two, two goats that they would take. And one goat would be slaughtered, and then the blood would be sprinkled throughout the temple, sprinkled on the altar, sprinkled within the, um, the inner rooms of the, of the temple to, to represent the, the cleansing of the temple. But then another goat would be present as well, and the high priest would go to that goat and place his hands upon that goat. And this represented the transferring of sins from the people of Israel onto that goat. And then that goat would be driven outside the, the camp, outside the, the community, um, to, to, to signify the removal of the sins um, from, from them. These things were all shadows, were all, were all pointing to the coming, the coming Lamb of God, the coming to Christ who would be our substitutionary atonement. He was our sacrificial lamb. These things all pointed to him. And as Jake read earlier, looking back to Isaiah 53, that prophecy of Christ, the suffering servant, which talks, you know, verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisning for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shears, so he did not open his mouth. Christ was our substitutionary atonement. He stood in our place. You know, in, in the song that we're going to sing in a little bit here, we're going to sing, it, we're going to sing in, in my place condemned he stood. And that's a beautiful, that's a glorious reality. Christ bore the wrath of God for us in our place. Jesus was counted as a sinner so that we as sinners might be counted as righteous in him. 
Jesus, who was fully God, became fully human. And as a fully human, he could be a representative for all humanity. That the wrath of God that humanity deserves could be poured out on Christ. So that that way that we don't have to face the, the judgment that we deserve. Also in verse 21, we see another aspect of our, of our justification as well. The end of verse 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So here we see the, the doctrine of, or what we like to call imputed righteousness or alien righteousness, a righteousness that is not our own, that is given to us. It's outside of us and comes from elsewhere. We are declared righteous because God thinks of Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. There is no amount of good things that we can do. It's not about coming to church each week, giving money. It's not about obeying a set of laws that could earn this righteousness. But by being in Christ and placing our faith in him, we are declared righteous and Christ's righteousness is reckoned as ours. This reality that, that Christ died and suffered in our place so that we don't have to, and that in turn that his righteousness was placed upon us, this is, this is called the double exchange. Our wrath was placed on him and his righteousness was given to us. That double exchange. Isn't that glorious? How awesome is that? May, may we be gripped by that? May we, may we never get tired of thinking about that? How good, how good news that is for us. Because left on our own, we... We do face hell. We would rightly bear the wrath of God because of our sin. This morning you may be sitting here and you may realize that, that you have a worldly view of who Christ was, that you have considered Christ in the flesh, that you are not reconciled to God. And I urge you this morning, if that's you, be reconciled to God. Trust in him. Trust in the work of Christ. Don't try to do it on your own, but trust in Christ. But maybe you're here this morning and that's you have been reconciled to God. But week after week, month after month, it doesn't feel, it feels like that sin that just keeps coming back. Or if you're like me, that you wake up in the morning and, and maybe sin is not that far off. That when you're not expecting it, that it just is there and you sin, seem to sin so easily. That we can remember the gospel. We can remember this double exchange. And remember that the wrath that I deserve has been poured out upon Christ. And I don't have to earn my righteousness. That I don't have to try to try harder, keep doing keep doing more, that the righteousness of Christ has been given to me. 
And this is the good news that we get to share with the world. And as I alluded to, this is good news. This is great news. And I hope that that, that it grips us and that it excites us and that we can't wait to tell it to other people. As a moment of confession, uh, this week I, my coworkers knew that I was going to be preaching and they would often ask me, what was I preaching on? And I would kind of just hem and haul and reluctantly, ah, oh, yeah. There's, that's, man, what a great opportunity when we, I've missed some good opportunities to share the gospel with them. But let us consider the gospel in our own lives. When we sin, we can, we can remember the promises of God. But may we be overjoyed by it also, that we never get tired of thinking about it and that that would cause us to go proclaim the gospel to a world that needs to be reconciled to God. Our perspective has changed so that we know we no longer focus on outward appearances and view the world the way people does. Our being is transferred from impending death to life in God's new creation. The status of our relationship with God has moved from conflict and brokenness to being reconciled with God. And our legal standing before God has shifted from unrighteous to righteous. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this truth today. Lord, we thank you that in Christ we are a new creation, that the old has passed away. Lord, we realize that we are a new creation even now, but we do wait forward. We look forward to that day when we will fully realize that, that you will reign in our hearts, that every knee will bow. Lord, may we Consider the gospel in our lives often when we sin. May we, may we remember these truths. May we look to proclaim it also. Help us to be ambassadors for you, to help the world to be reconciled to a holy God. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.